Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations with drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. All right, welcome to the Drum Shuffle, episode number three. I'm Jamie Eads. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening. I hope you find all of our episodes entertaining and useful. You can, as always, reach us at the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can always find me over at jamieeds.com. Our guest today is one of the most technically proficient drummers you'll ever hear. Travis Orban from the band Darkest Hour. He is also a fantastic solo artist in his own right. He also spent some time playing in Periphery. This guy is simply unbelievably talented. I mean, some of the things he does is absolutely supernatural on the drums. He has a very unique playing style. You'll hear us talk a little bit about that. Uh, Darkest Hour about to hit the road. You'll hear us talk about that as well, along with his fantastic solo release that came out in December of 2017 called Silly String 2. And I would like to let you hear just a little bit of that right now. So you can certainly see what I'm talking about, the technical proficiency of our guest today. Please welcome to the Drum Shuffle, Travis Orban. Travis, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Hey, really want to thank you for joining us here on the Drum Shuffle podcast. Happy to be a part of it. Great. So, Travis... um, I'm going to start at the beginning. Uh, I like to do that with my guests. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you became a drummer and and any formal education that you've had, uh, et cetera. Okay. Well, I didn't really experience a musical upbringing. Like there weren't instruments being played in the house, but my parents were uh, consumers of music and different styles. My dad liked a lot of rock and classic rock, and my mom listened to a lot of Motown. So there was a little bit of variety, which was nice. And uh, I didn't really 
I don't know. I always had some sort of an interest in percussion because I was always sort of aimlessly beating on desks as a child in uh, school. And uh, then I heard Metallica's Injustice for All. And then out of nowhere, I began to mimic the motions of a uh, drum set player. <laughs> sure. And um, and so my parents started me off sort of slow, like they got me a practice pad and then a, a really cheap little synthesizer kit just to see if there was a genuine interest there. And I uh, wore those things out. And then finally in uh, 1995 for my Christmas and birthday gift, my birthday falls dangerously close to Christmas, uh, I was given a Pearl Export drum set and two Zildjian Amir cymbals and a cooler as a throne. <laughs> so you were you were uh, rocking the igloo cooler uh, to sit behind your new kit. <laughs> yeah, yep. Drummer, drummer, drummer edition igloo cooler. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, I'm sure the endorsement applications are flying out the door already. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have to ask, you know, because folks that are familiar with your playing. Um, first of all, I, I do want to say that you are one of the most talented drummers that I have ever seen in, in my, you know, 30 plus years of being around drummers. Um, Damn. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, well, I mean, just the technical proficiency and your and we'll talk here in just a second about your your practice routine, because I know that that it's well known that you spend hours and hours practicing your craft. But anybody that has gone out and, and just done a quick search for Travis Orban and pulled up any of your YouTube videos will immediately see that your setup is very unique. It is, um, and your style is very unique in that you play uh, open-handed for the most part. Um, you don't have a rack tom in, in, for the most part. So when you got this first drum set in 1995, you know, are you ambidextrous? You know, when, when you played baseball, you know, were you left and right-handed? How did that kind of evolve? Did you start out that way, or is it something that just kind of happened over time? <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't start that way. I've always been a uh, a righty, a right-handed person, and acted accordingly throughout my life. You know, eating dinner with my right hand, brushing my teeth, etc. So uh, I played a conventional setup for a while, and I began to flirt with open-handed playing in when I was still in high school, so like late '90s. And I was, but I was still playing a conventional kit. You know, I was just leading with the left hand on the hi hat. And it was uh, 2004, I think, I showed up to a gig with a really heavy technical band I was in at the time. And we showed up so late, I was literally taking my drums out of the bags and throwing them on stage. So on a whim, I opted to play with a three-piece uh, kick, snare, floor tom. And I rather liked it. It was challenging and stimulating, but I wanted to add something on the left to promote more left-hand movement. And that's basically how it came to be, the, the drums at least. Now the cymbals, I guess they're a separate story, but uh, even with that setup, I was uh, still playing more of a conventional cymbal setup and I was still 
kind of switching between open-handed and conventional playing, kind of like what Dennis Chambers does. And, uh, and then in 2005, I joined a pop band that was, I was replacing a drummer who had already tracked their EP and the drums are pretty simple. So I figured I'd uh, challenge myself further. And I basically integrated the setup that you see now in all of my videos and I started using my left foot more because double bass playing became more of an interest to me uh, as my interest in Virgil Donati grew and grew and grew and flourished. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a lot of different factors culminating in that evolution. It wasn't an overnight thing. Well, I will tell you this, um, you know, I speak for all drummers everywhere. We are all envious as anything <laughs> of your ability with the left side of your body, you know, as a right-handed guy. Um, you know, I'm just simply stupefied when I watch your playing and what you can can do. I mean, the speed is there on both sides of your body. And it just, when I watch you playing it seems like it's effortless for you. You know, if I were trying to pull off some of the stuff that you're doing, um, I would definitely be sweating and it would probably look like I was having convulsions. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so we're all envious of that. Um, no doubt about it, but it, it is a very unique setup. It's a very unique style that you play. And, um, you know, clearly the technical prowess and proficiency that you have came from someplace. And, and I promised that we would talk a little bit about your practicing habits. Um, so, you know, in 95, you've got this drum set. Did you pretty much just lock yourself in your practice space for the next five years or what, you know, tell us how you became the drummer you are today. Yeah, I basically uh, attached a leash to the drum set and my mom would come <laughs> in intermittently with gruel. No. <laughs> um, now I uh, I played to the radio for the most part, uh, which was pretty happening at the time. 95, you know, you had all the that last great wave of uh, American rock music. And uh, it was big fun. And then I stuck, stuck with it for a year and my parents realized that it wasn't it definitely was not a passing phase and they got me formal lessons, uh, private lessons with a tutor that is still to this day teaching. Uh, he's about an hour north of me in Dover, Delaware or Felton, Delaware. And his name is Honey Bochelle. And he taught me a lot of the fundamentals, most importantly, how to read. And from there, after I graduated high school, I, I would, uh, I stuck with him for several years, but then I kind of branched out and, you know, embarked on my own path of autodidactism and started buying texts that inter interested me in videos. And uh, there was a pretty big, pretty big phase in like 2004, 2005, where I kind of revamped my technique and started throwing more from the wrist and not really utilizing fingers. And... Uh, and started really delving into Mike Mangini's rhythm knowledge books, which hopefully they're back on the market. They've been off for some time now, but uh, there are some systems in there that are pretty, pretty fascinating. So I started delving more into like uh, odd tuplets, 
and timing those sorts of things polyrhythmically against different parts of my body. And then I was also like, you know, checking out Virgil's crazy pattern, pattern esque stuff and Marco Miniman's extreme interdependent stuff and absorbing all different styles of music. So coming out of high school, it was like almost another, you know, decade of formative learning. Well, I mean, you you certainly pick some some great guys to uh, <laughs> you know to look at. You know, you mentioned Marco, you mentioned Virgil, you mentioned Mike Mangini. Um, you know, anybody that knows anything about drumming will know that those guys are are drum gods. Um, oh yeah, freaks. <laughs> oh, they are freaks, and it's you know, I mean, it, it, it when I see any of those guys play, it's it's superhuman ability. It really is. Um, so you mentioned those guys as influences. Um, you also mentioned earlier, um, you know, a, a Metallica record. So, you mm-hmm. know, kind of package everything up. Tell us, uh, tell us the guys that, that really influenced your playing. Uh, if there's anything to add to the ones we've already mentioned. I also mentioned Dennis Chambers. He was a big one. He was like the first, uh, drum VHS I ever bought was, uh, serious moves by Dennis Chambers. And to this day, it's like probably my favorite drum video. And I've, yeah. I've got that one too in my library. I think everybody oh, does. Yeah. So fantastic. <laughs> it is. He's, he's, he's such a monster. And, uh, it's also great to see him out and playing again as well. But, uh, that was my first, I guess, super drummer influence. But prior to that, it was Lars and uh, a lot of those radio rock bands, you know, like Matt Cameron from Soundgarden. I guess you could say even Trey Cool from Green Day and Chad Sexton from Zero Eleven. I mean, Adrian Young from No Doubt. All those people that were kind of came into the uh, American rock zeitgeist, I guess, uh, were little influences. But uh yeah Lars was a big one because obviously he propagated the whole uh me wanting to be a drummer and then uh sure. but yeah the the bigger uh bigger names that I guess are more recognized by the drumming community would be Virgil Mike Dennis Vinnie Caliuto was a pretty big one and David Garibaldi from Tower of Power was pretty huge as well yeah absolutely well and you know, and I think a lot of folks will notice that you're mentioning guys that are on the harder side of the equation. Um, and and you know your your band that you're currently, uh, I, I guess you guys are about to hit the tu- uh, the tour circuit, uh, hit, hitting the road next week, Darkest Hour. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very heavy music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you spent some time in Periphery as well. Um, but you know, and we'll talk about those if you'd like, but I certainly want to mention your solo record that came out a couple of months ago, um, called Silly String 2. Um, it's not a a metal record. It's not heavy music. Um, you know, I I would describe it as avant-garde or, or kind of new age, but we can definitely hear the jazz influence in your playing on that record. And it's just a, a fantastic listen. So, um, you know, for our listeners that know you from the heavier music, um, I certainly want to point them towards that record. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that project and, and um, you know, how you approach the playing on it? Thanks. Thanks for all the kind words. 
Um, yeah, as far as the, I guess I didn't really mention any jazz guys, but I mean, uh, I absolutely love the timeout record by Dave Brubeck Quartet. Uh, I really got into the miles. I bought a ton of miles records at one point, John Coltrane. So those guys, those monoliths are, they all kind of, <laughs> they all kind of seep into my subconscious and I guess it comes out and expresses itself or manifests itself, you know, depending on the the music the vehicle that is uh that i'm working on at the moment but as far as chili string two um that started back in i think it was april of 2014 i just started this crazy composition spree i would just write one song after another and i don't know where it was coming from but you know i was i was writing every day and enjoying it greatly and at some point, I I, uh, I was writing two different kinds of songs. I was writing kind of busier instrumental stuff and then writing stuff that kind of, it was still diverse, but I guess fell more under the radar of like, or under the guise of uh, alternative rock and it had vocal parts. So I figured at some point I would write a full length, which would be my first, half of it being instrumental and half of it being songs with vocal parts. But I was writing so much material and amassing so much that I had enough before I knew it, I had enough to uh, to put out two full lengths, <laughs> which one of which ended up being Silly String 2. And the other is another entire full length uh, comprised of songs with vocal parts. So uh, Silly String 2, I started composing it and I guess it was April of 2014 or May thereabouts. And I finished the last song in January of 2015. But as I said, I was writing other songs for other releases inadvertently not knowing <laughs> at the time sure so that was just the composition process and then by the time i had enough uh free time you know i didn't have enough or i didn't have any obligations i started tracking the drums and i think it was august of last year so it, it came actually after i finished tracking the drums it came together quite quickly uh probably even quicker than the composition side but yeah, so I tracked the drums, and then I uh, hired this absolutely inhuman bass player named uh, <laughs> Cameron. Yeah, it, it shows on the record, too. <laughs> yeah, um, he plays anything that I throw at him, and, and he can play even crazier stuff on top of it sometimes. But uh, his name is Cameron McClellan, and he tracked all the bass except for the one song called A Slightly Unfinished Sound, which is upright bass, actual upright bass. I uh, was fortunate to find an upright bass player with the aid of a friend. And uh, But other than him, uh, John Sims is his name, Cameron tracked all the bass. And while he was tracking his bass, Adam Edgemont uh, did all the guitars. And then... Uh, Geez, I don't know. There's, I'd have to find a CD and look at the credits because there's so many people on there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, yeah, that's the basic gist of how it came about. After I tracked everything, it was, you know, kind of assembly line, like everyone else did their thing. Sure. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a really good release, and and you know, I would encourage everybody to to definitely check it out. Um, just simply because it it is so different than than what we're you know, accustomed to from you in terms of, of style. Um, there was a, another EP um, a, at some point that I came across. 
Uh, and you mentioned your your drum teacher earlier, your instructor, and I always giggle because there's a track on that EP called What Do You Want From Me? And Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, it's a voicemail that starts the song. It says, hi, this is Travis, drum instructor. Uh, you know, I hope you like it. If you don't, what do you want from me? <laughs> Which I thought was, you know, I laugh every time I hear it. Um, you know, <laughs> tell us a little bit about about that project as well. Okay. Oh, well, real quick. Um, my first three releases, Projects, Silly String, and Projects 2, I wanted to sort of give a little bit of a shout out to my I, uh basically they're my three biggest influences in this whole thing because without my parents and without my drum instructor i wouldn't be where i'm at now so wanted to give them uh their due i guess absolutely so, so projects two um that was actually part of that uh composition spree that i mentioned earlier <laughs> um i was writing like i said the uh busier instrumental stuff and I put out projects one in September of 2014 and it was kind of weird the night or the day after I put it out, I woke up and I had this vision in my head of like a burning notebook, which was, it was like the, the notebook that's on the cover of uh, projects. Absolutely. And uh, it just hit me, you know, let's do a sequel. So I started writing uh, three songs and then I paired them with uh, two other songs that I had written in the midst of that composition spree. And cause they, they had a, they kind of had that more, I don't know, atonal metal vibe that uh projects emits. So, uh, so yeah, I saw, I tracked the drum, same, basically the same thing as silly string too. I tracked the drums and then Adam Edgemont did guitars and Cameron did the bass. Well, it, you know, I mean, both of them are, are just, so incredible um you know i was uh as i was preparing for our interview you know i was watching some of the projects two stuff the videos last night on on youtube and I, you know i don't know if you're playing to a click or or what i don't know first of all i don't know how you would program a click for some of the time signature stuff that <laughs> that you were doing um you know but it's just to me Again, I go back to the the technique and the technical proficiency. Um, it it kind of seems inhuman to me as a player. You know, I'm a groove guy, and and I think probably a lot of our listeners are groove guys. And and we watch guys like you play, and we go, "Gosh, how's he doing that?" You know. Um, so you know, so kudos to you, um, and. You know, that kind of leads me and segues into, you know, your your full-time band that you're playing in, Darkest Hour. Just some amazing drumming on those records. And I, I certainly want you to talk a little bit about your all's latest release uh, and, and the tour that's coming up. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Darkest Hour right now. Okay. Well, I've played, I joined the band and well, officially in, uh, I think it was either April or May of 2013. And we put out our first, our first record, which was self-titled, uh, the following summer. Um, I think it was June of 2014. And then we did a little, uh, seven inch EP, which was two covers. Uh, one, uh, 
being a Judas Priest cover and the other Minor Threat. Put that out. Uh, put that out. Uh, I don't even know what the official <laughs> release date of that was. I think it was sometime in uh, 2016. I know we tracked it in uh, around October of 2015. And then this most recent album, a full length, uh, it's called Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora, and that was released in March of 2017. And we've been did a lot of touring last year, uh, a lengthy U.S. tour and a lengthy European tour. And uh, this is basically just a continuation of that. Uh, you know, we're trying to hit as many markets that we haven't uh, before the album accrues too many miles. <laughs> sure. Or we have to you know, lock ourselves back into the writing space. And uh, so, yeah, we're touring, uh, doing a little jaunt. Uh, starting next week and then in april we have another european tour with havoc who we've uh toured with in the past well last year and then i'm not sure what we're gonna do i don't know it depends on the offers that come our way and you know whether or not uh it's worth entertaining or if we should just focus on writing absolutely well and you know i mean that kind of brings me back to some of the the solo project um you know are there any uh, aspirations for the Silly String two guys to to take that show out on the road at all, or um, you know what's next after your tour with Darkest Hour? Uh, I have um, I've seen interest online for me playing this stuff live, but I really don't see how it would work logistically without me uh, burying myself in financial debt. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's just there's just so much that goes into touring, it's unreal. And and also, I mean, I guess I could I could do I could just play the tracks, but that's more of like a clinic thing, a clinic setting. So I would prefer to just wait until you know I, I have some sort of maybe a clinic tour or something to present it in that setting. But uh, that is you know that's an interest of mine. I would like to do that. But uh, anyway, what's next is I actually just finished the drums for my next solo EP, which is um, going to be called Finite 2. It's a sequel, conceptual sequel to Finite. I don't know if you got time to check that one out. Sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really love that one. And uh, Finite 2, I'm probably most proud of this one, uh, compositionally speaking. So I'm excited to see it come together. So I just finished the drums for that. And actually tonight I am tracking two songs for Adam Edgemont, uh, his solo stuff. We work together quite extensively, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he's a fantastic guitarist based out of uh, Brooklyn. So I'm doing two songs. I'm actually going to do his whole five song EP, but uh, I'm doing two tonight. And then uh, that'll take me into the tour. And then when I get back from the tour, finishes three songs and then I'm going to start working on uh, the sound design and cover art for finite two. And then I'll be mixing that in Florida uh, with the same guy I mixed silly string two with in late March. And then that'll take me into April where we have the European tour. So I'm pretty, pretty booked up for the next few months. Booked up and busy, a drummer's dream, right? Indeed. <laughs> well, you know, I, I... 
it brings up a good point, I think, in that, you know, your output is fairly prolific. Uh, you know, I think that's a, <laughs> a good word for it. You're constantly writing, you're, you're playing with a bunch of different guys, um, you know, at such a high level. Tell our listeners a little bit about how you get to that point, you know, where you're constantly busy. Now, you know, it's one thing to be a fantastic, great drummer and and having a lot of calls, but you've really kind of taken the reins of your career and and you write uh, and come up with these things and you're constantly releasing things. And you mentioned something that, that I want to key in on a little bit that there's so much that goes into a tour, um, you know, and, and financially it just, it's hard to go out on the road as, as yourself when you're a drummer, um, you know, th- give the drummer some, I guess I would say, but, you know, talk to us a little bit about taking control of your career as a drummer and writing and recording, you know, what words of advice would you give, I, I suppose, is what I'm really trying to ask. Hmm. Well, it, it, I don't know. It's it's tough to say in this environment because I feel like even I, today it's it's even easier than ever to kind of take the reins and and build a name for yourself. But for me, I I guess I had a, a bit a bit of a, a stroke of luck in that I was involved with Periphery and Skyets Airplane, so I had a little bit of a driving force behind my name. So by the time I started regularly posting on YouTube. Um, it wasn't entirely too difficult to, I guess, capture people's attention. <laughs> so just by the sheer act of doing that, I kind of, uh, my name kind of fell into uh, other people's people's radars. And, uh, you know, I came to work with people like Adam and uh, Cameron. Like I, I met Cameron when I did the Intervals record, uh, The Shape of Color. Uh, he's a co-producer and he played bass on that. So I met him when I went to Toronto to record my drum tracks for that. So, um, I don't know. I think it's just, you know, before you start posting a bunch of videos of yourself on Instagram, you should, um, you know, really study your ass off and practice and kind of chip away at your identity and figure out what makes you unique and try to, amplify that rather than you know just posting the craziest lick that you can play or whatever absolutely and and you know i mean i think you know you you really make a good point there there are so many great talented players out there that are just you know sitting in their you know their home studio um technology has made it very easy you know to to buy a gopro camera or a a nice camera and do drum covers all day that sound good and you you know you post 30 or 40 of them a week and you kind of get lost in the shuffle with that the thing is those people have always existed it's just that now they have a vehicle to express it and have the world see it if they look hard enough i guess absolutely and it is now it's like you know we have all these fantastic players who always existed but i i'm just it's hard to find an original voice amidst all that clamor you know like i i almost think that things were better were better when we were a little more insular and we didn't have all this access 
But if you use it as a tool, I think it's a good resource. It will absolutely. It can definitely raise your profile as a player, and and you know you you never know um, when somebody's going to see that. I mean, you know, I I think of Journey. I think of Judas Priest. Um, you know, those were guys that kind of got discovered. Um, you know, through the band needing to replace a member and, right. you know, finding them online. And, and yeah, your phone can ring that way. Um, but, you know, you and I are about the same age, Travis. And, you know, when we were kids growing up as, you know, fresh musicians, it was this mysterious, magical thing. How do I get in a band and sign a record deal? And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, there was so much mystery around it. And, and we used to wait with, you know, bated breath. When is the next, you know, Metallica record coming out or, or whatever band it was that we were really following. Oh, they're Mm -hmm. in the studio right now. when is it going to come out? What's it going to sound like? And you kind of waited for MTV to put that first video out. Um, now I think bands are, you know, with the social media thing, I can tell you, you know, what some drummers eat for lunch while they're in the studio recording their next record. You know, I mean, it's, it's like nothing is saved for the grand unveiling. Everything is just out there for us all the time, which I think is, is good and it's bad. So you you make a really good point that it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. You got to love all that extraneous information. Like, yeah, here's, I just changed heads. Here's a picture. Like, no, just track the song. No one cares. All right. (laughs) Right. You got, you got new heads. All right. Lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, I think we're all guilty of that to a certain extent. Um, you know, I mean, I, I will, as an example, when I'm getting ready to go in the studio and do a session with somebody, I'm on social media saying, can't wait to get in the studio next Thursday with X. Um, we're all guilty of that, I think, because we like to have, First of all, we want to tell people what we're up to. Secondly, we like to have those likes and thumbs up and stars and all that stuff. You know, on this show, I open and close every show by saying, please go out to iTunes or Stitcher and give us a rating. You know, <laughs> it, yeah. it, you know, we're all, that's just the world we live in today. Um, sure. But I, just, I, th- I, I prefer to see a distinction between here's what I ate for lunch and here's the cover art for my next album, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think it's really cool that there are bona fide guys like yourself that are out there writing a ton of incredible material and releasing it to say, here's what I'm doing. Um, So we, we thank you for, for your prolific output of just incredible stuff it's it's fantastic hey man i'm fortunate to have uh garnered the fan base that i have so thanks everyone for your ears <laughs> absolutely well in in speaking of which um you know tell tell our listeners where they can find all things travis orban is there one spot or um several you know tell us you know where we can find darkest hour silly string to um you know, where can we find you out there? The easiest way is travisorban.com. That's the hub that will lead you to all my 
social media. And uh, if you scour the news, there's all the super relevant uh, press releases that I've done, like, like announcing Silly String 2, announcing the latest Darker Sour album, etc. Awesome. So we're going to encourage everybody to go out there and check all that stuff out. So that brings me to my next question. You know, um, what are you doing in terms of publicity? Um, you know, who is kind of managing all that stuff for yourself? Is that something that you're doing on your own or do you have a team that's helping you manage that stuff? Um, because I, I get asked this question all the time. You know, I have a website, um, and and pretty much it's me and my wife that are taking care of all that stuff. Um, but people ask me all the time, "How do I keep up with that?" So uh, let us know how you're dealing with with that stuff. Oh well, I'm uh, entirely self managed. I'm a- autonomous. <laughs> I've uh, always have been. Uh, I mean, I have people that help me, but. Uh, I, I uh, like I, I do all the social media stuff. Uh, my website is built by a friend of mine, uh, Brian Seffer, who uh, I've known for years. He was a fan of mine before he even built my site. But uh, I mean, I try to do as much as I can, even down to every detail. I mean, like the, I've done all my cover art, for example, uh, for all the uh, EPs and Silly String 2. I mean, I would mix the damn thing if I could, but (laughs) only so many hours in the day, you know, and uh, I would prefer to have someone who has far more experience than I do. But um, I try to do as much as I can. So there is certainly not a team behind Travis Orvin. It's just Travis Orvin. How much time does that take? I mean, I, I think some people don't understand what an undertaking it is to have several different projects going at once. I mean, I'm assuming it's a full-time job for you. I don't know. Um, no, I mean, it, it just depends on the, the project. You know, it depends on uh, how many people are involved, how much micromanagement I have to do. Um, I mean, I still, even when I'm not on tour, I have a side job to this day. I help my mom with her business. So there are enough, there are enough hours in the day, but, uh, it just, you know, if you have to figure in, you know, the, the point of diminishing returns, like if I spend all this time mixing my album, I could have been doing another project, for example. Um, but, uh. But yeah, um, yeah, there's a, it, I don't know. It's just, you just have to apply yourself. And um, it, like I said, it depends on how many people are involved. And, uh, and it depends on what you want to get across as well. You know, how I, I would imagine that if you just had, if you tracked all the drums yourself and you, you know, just hired one person and they were dependable and competent then it wouldn't drain much of your time because they just turn over their tracks and you wouldn't have too much more work to do. But uh, that's really the key. I guess that's one of the key factors is finding competent, talented musicians or other people to work with, depending on what it is that you're trying to do. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, 
with your playing ability, I'm sure you have a lot of calls that are coming in. Hey, can you do some drum tracks for me? Are you doing work like that as well? Um, kind of, you know, tracking drums for folks and sending those off via email or, um, I guess what I'm getting at, do you say no a lot? <laughs> no, I, I, I never say no. <laughs> I say, I say yes to everything because everything's a new experience. I think you can, uh, you can pluck something to be learned from every experience, every job. So, uh, no, I don't think I've ever said no. <laughs> and, and and that's the point that I was trying to, to get at because I knew what you were going to say there. It's, you know, a, as musicians, we can't close any doors. I That's my opinion anyway. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And yes, uh, I do. I do session work. Uh, I've been playing on people's material since I think 2007 is uh, the first time I did it professionally. And I've been doing it professionally out of my home studio since 2010. You've got a lot of work going on there as well. And, you know, just from um, viewing your videos and, and whatnot, you've got a pretty cool setup in terms of your studio that you're recording at. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, has that been kind of a, uh, you know, did you go out and spend a ton of money to have, a great studio from day one or has it been kind of a, a passion project over time? It's, it's been a passion project over time. Uh, I'm fortunate that my, uh, my studio is on my parents' property. My father built a separate compound next to the house that has a traditional garage, my mother's business. And uh, it started as just kind of a raw space. Like my dad, He's a little bit of a pack rat. He put a bunch of junk in here and it was just my drum kit and I would just come in here and let loose. And then over time, I cleared some of it out. Um, I laid some hardwood floors. My dad uh, helped me uh, with drywall and painting and the drop ceiling. And and then I started investing in audio gear. And uh, that came about as a, an interest uh, because of my friend Taylor Larson, who's now a successful producer engineer himself and uh the bug bit him many years prior and he started uh persuading me to invest in the stuff so that started in 2007 i began investing in audio gear and it's just amassed and grown ever since that's the way it always works you know you find something to spend money on gear wise and <laughs> it it just continues to to grow and you know, we, we joke and say all musicians have gas and, uh, you know, people, you know, think you're talking about digestive problems, but it's gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> it's, <Yeah. laughs> you know, yeah. we, we've all got it and we all do it for sure. But you have a beautiful space and uh, you're getting some great sounds out of there. Now, do you... Yeah. Do you share that space at all uh, or is that specifically for, for Travis? Oh no, this is, this is all me. I couldn't, <laughs> I would I couldn't imagine sharing this with anyone. <laughs> okay. So I can't rent your studio for my next project. That's what you're telling me. I mean, you can come in here and you can track drums, but you're not going to be able to move the drums around because the mics are set up and they're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> A man so start, after my own heart. <laughs> start, 
start shedding the Orbinator setup now. Okay, cool. Well, you know, I don't know that I could sit down and do anything musical behind your kit because it it is very unique and it's and it's awesome. Um, Travis, uh, one final thing: we try to do this with all of our guests, and we I guess we kind of scratched the surface with it just a little bit earlier. But you know, what advice would you give to to somebody listening to the show today? Um, you know, obviously we all aspire to be better players and, and you're on a level that is, um, you know, it's, it's stupefying quite honestly, uh, some of the stuff that you can do behind the kit, but, you know, share your advice for drummers, no matter where they're at in their career, any just really good words of advice on navigating the business or becoming a better player, share your knowledge with us. Well, initially, I would, like I said, study your ass off, practice hard as you can, find a competent teacher, and uh, you know the the more education that you acquire, and the the more you know about just what you're playing, you know how to play with a click, all the basic stuff, the better off you're going to be. And uh, as far as the business thing, I mean, it's just it's so hard to tell nowadays. Uh, I, I don't know if I would advise someone to get on YouTube or try to find a band. I know for me, it was, a uh, uh, it was just a matter of playing with a bunch of musicians and then one door just kind of led to another. I mean, uh, to this day I play in darkest hour and that association came about because I'm friends with Taylor who I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. And uh, even though the, my uh, time in periphery, that came about because uh, they added a band that Taylor and I were in on MySpace way back in the day. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of luck and it's a bit of just being prepared for when such opportunities arise. So I, it's hard for me to not speak in the abstract and put together some sort of definitive plan uh to be a success because i don't think there is one i think there's just so much left to chance that you just kind of have to you know either take that for what it is or while you're getting your music chops together uh maybe formulate some sort of backup plan as well if you can't stomach failure because uh, you know it doesn't always happen for everyone yeah there's there's lots of failure in the music business, no doubt about it. But that's the reason we keep trying is because there are successes. And clearly you epitomize success. Um, you know, you've done some great things. And I really want to thank you for your time, for coming on the drum shuffle. Um, we would love to have you back, um, you know, when you get done with the Darkest Hour tour and you get your new uh, release done. We would love to have you come back on and talk about those things. Um, and you know, I would wish you tremendous success and, and good luck on your run of dates with darkest hour coming up here. Um, but please, uh, come back and, and talk to us again in the future. Thanks. I'd love to, um, finite two will be out this year and good luck to you with the drum shuffle. I really appreciate that, Travis. Um, 
folks, we're going to let Travis go. Travis, good luck out there on the run, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. See you later. All right. See you, Travis. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's going to do it for Episode 3 of The Drum Shuffle. Huge thanks to Travis Orban for joining us. Please go check out Darkest Hour as they're out on the road when they come through your area. Also like to ask you, please give us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever service you're using to tune in. And please keep your questions, comments, and any suggestions for the show coming. We can be reached at thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can always find me over at jamieeds.com. So until next week, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers! Cheers.